Sunday night edition of the Crash the Pond podcast. We are here to celebrate the official return of NHL hockey. We had some exhibition play earlier in the week, but the Stanley Cup qualifiers first weekend of action was on all day for both Saturday and Sunday. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to get into all of that. We're also going to talk about a little bit of Ducks news, uh, but just as a kind of a quick hitter here, Jake and CJ, how are you feeling with hockey on your television or your whatever device you're using? How does that feel in, in August in the middle of a pandemic? It feels fantastic. God, I love it's it. It's fantastic. I said I spent most of yesterday just on my couch uh, watching the games, woke up, did that. Maybe you watched one of the games uh, sitting in the sun and then found some time in between to work out. But, you know, all day was spent watching games today. Not as much, but it it's definitely nice to have them all back. I realized this weekend That's how great. much I missed it. Way to just subtly drop in the fact that you just worked out. Yeah. Were you trying to impress Jake? You have a life. Calm down. You know? Yeah, thank you, CJ. That was actually a very necessary comment. I'm just glad I wasn't the one that had to make it. This is the benefit of the of the three man pod. I don't like the three person pod. I I have the ability to kick CJ off right now. Bye, CJ. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, for anyway. sure. Like I I've, I'm super happy that it's back as well. I I do feel some conflicting emotions for those of you who have been on the site in the last day or so. I wrote an article kind of about how. It's totally okay to feel conflicting emotions. There's part of me that's, you know, super happy. There's part of me that's worried for the players. There's part of me, you know, I, I just, it's okay to feel that. But I think just the initial high of the fact that, look, we've got hockey back. And so far, it's been pretty good hockey. I think I'm pretty stoked about it. Well, also, I think if you were conflicted going into this, I think the NHL has shown that they actually have a, a pretty good setup. I mean, without even... Yeah without even having to compare them to Major League yeah. Baseball. You know, the, the the bubble for the NHL seems to be working. There haven't been any positive tests. There, I mean, it, we're so early into it, but there's no reports of anyone going outside of the bubble, right? You saw in the NBA, guys with, I mean, I don't even know if two weeks had passed and guys were already leaving. You know, one Lou Williams got caught going to a strip club. I mean, it's just... <laughs> You haven't heard any of that yet for the NHL, so we're, Felix, we're still it was early. Chicken wings, not a strip club. Come on, get your story right. I believe it was chicken wings right, from yeah. a strip club. <laughs> I believe everybody well, knows the th- best th- chicken th- wings are two- from a strip club. Yeah, those two go hand in hand, Jake. Yeah. Oh, fair. I mean, fair, I'm fair. not speaking from personal experience. Fair. fair. Um, <laughs> <laughs> sure. This this is getting off the rails quickly. I mean, it's so it's let's to uh, be expected. <laughs> um, real quick though, I want to say this on the NHL. They they've taken all the right steps. Uh, with with getting this thing yeah. back, done the right things with the bubbles. They they it seems like they've done a good job with keeping the player safety in mind while also keeping their sanity in mind somewhat. I mean, I don't know if both of you saw this, but there was the nice touch by the league of every single player, whether they were kind of a very low level player or the top player. I believe that every single player had a picture of their family in their room that the NHL... No, that was only Nashville. No, because Toronto had it also. No, Toronto had it too. Well, yeah. Toronto did it as well. The, the league didn't oh, do wasn't that. The league um, made... it, was, it was the individual teams, Nashville, and you're right, Toronto did it as well. But I believe those were the uh, only well, two. There went that. Th- thanks, CJ. But thanks. still, well, but still it, regardless, it's a nice that, touch. That, that's a pretty... It's a nice touch, but... Yeah. 
I don't know if that's like the best point you could have made for no, how they're keeping no, him but sane. I, they all... <laughs> hey, here's a picture that we <laughs> but, lifted from your Instagram. No, I know, but the, no the big, big issue for players going into a bubble is that they're going to be away from their family for so yeah. long. And so this is yeah. this is almost an acknowledgement from the league, if it was from the league, doesn't sound like it was, but um, it was an acknowledgement from the league that kind of we're here to help you out here to support you here and kind of the players need to take it seriously in turn. And it seems like everything's going well and everything's going great with the bubble. And so good on them, good on the NHL for putting yeah. together good protocols that can be followed. Yeah. I mean, not to go too much into the comparison, but I do think that this, the kind of mentality of the hockey teams and players is just so different from the NBA where basketball is just more of an individualistic sport. And I think that for hockey, it's kind of easier to get teams to buy in to complying because it's all about the team. Like you can't have, it's not like in basketball where a, a, an NBA team can be really good if they have like three great players and then all of a sudden they're the best team in the league. So in the NHL, you need everyone pushing in the same direction at all times. So maybe they will pull it off. We will see. Let's talk a little bit about the Anaheim Ducks who are not playing right now in case you you didn't know or or you hadn't noticed that they're not out there (laughs) yeah shocker it is kind of crazy because i saw some people saying that you know putting it out there what do you think of the nhl only inviting 24 teams or not inviting all teams and i'm just thinking to myself 24 is already a lot yeah (laughs) i mean yeah in re in reality 24 is probably too much anyway but that's where we are so I can't, I, I can't really imagine the Ducks playing right now and hanging with these super competitive teams in this setting. They, 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 they didn't really show much evidence that they were built for that throughout the past season. Yeah, it, to me, the, the thought of even the Ducks being in, in the playoffs is insane to me or that the league should have allowed all teams. I mean, how can you make the argument that the Detroit Red Wings should be in this in the playoffs, the, have the potential to win the cup at this point? It's not as if we, we've gone through... Uh, 10 games in the season had to call it and you have 72 games up in the air they were a good 60 games played for almost every single team and so there really weren't that many games or sorry isn't it 70 games was i off there um regardless it's well around 68 to like 71 or something like that 68 to 71 games Mm -hmm. so a fair amount of games played we had more games played this season than we did during the lockout shortened season in 2013 just to put mm-hmm. that in perspective. So I, I think you can pretty easily say, no, the Ducks should not be in this playoffs. They were not good enough for it. I mean, there are probably teams in this playoffs, like you said, Felix, that probably shouldn't be there. It probably is too much, but I mean, I'm good with it. Right. Well, also just from a safety perspective, it's probably not the best to bring more people than you have to, but they found a way to do it. So hats off to them. So let's get into that Ducks news, though. So the Ducks did extend notable restricted free agent Sonny Milano who they acquired at the trade deadline in the canceled season for Devin Shore and Sonny Milano actually had a nice little stretch with the Ducks I mean he scored two goals in his very first game including an overtime game winner ended up having five points in nine games the Ducks extended him to a two-year deal with an annual average value of 1.7 million dollars a year he will be an RFA at the end of this contract so he's going to be around a little longer the ducks are going to get a feel for him jake let's start with you what was your reaction what are your thoughts on uh on this move uh my my reaction was it was a good signing um 
basically the Ducks were able to get uh, Sonny Milano signed on a two-year deal. And for those of you out there that don't know, if he would have signed and gotten a third year out of it, then he would have, at the expiration of the contract, would have been an unrestricted free agent. So that would have been the big sticking point there of two years versus three years. Um, and the number seems about right. Uh, 1.5, or sorry, uh, $1.7 million over the course of the two seasons, or AAV over the course of the two seasons. So in total, $3.4 million. Um, for a guy that had a nice little stretch with Anaheim, if you look at different comparables per cap friendly charts, you've got guys like Sammy Blay, uh, you've got, got guys like Drake Cajulo when he signed in 2018, Anders Bjork for Boston, Ryan Donato. And, and so these are all kind of guys in that same realm uh, of guys that have potential that are in the kind of start of their peak or prime production years. And um, they're still a little bit left on the table in terms of what you want to see from them. And so to me, it makes sense. It's a, about the right value for what you would expect. Um, two years makes sense uh, from the Ducks perspective. And yeah. I, I think that it's a good deal and probably a good deal for both sides um, allows uh, Sonny Milano to really make a statement at the end of this next deal to be able to get paid. Yeah. CJ, what did you think of it? I mean, you th- you're the one who wrote the article for us, so I'm assuming yeah. you have some thoughts. I think it was a, it was a good deal for both sides. I think Milano has really good upside. There is a chance that he could end up like another, you know, Daniel Sprong or Pontus Aberg or somebody who has a lot of talent, but just can't quite put it together there. I think there's definitely a, a fairly significant risk of that. However, uh, you know, we, we've seen what we can do. He's shown off that skill. For those of you who saw earlier this year, he scored an incredible between-the-legs goal uh, with Columbus. So, obviously, the talent is there, and the early returns for Anaheim were very good. Um, and, and it's good because he can kind of bet on himself. Um, the contract, obviously, is a bridge deal, but it takes him... Uh, when it expires, he will still be in RFA with um, arbitration rights. So um, that's more, uh, I think that's good for um, specifically Bob Murray, because if Bob Murray gets to that point and he performs well in his contract, they still have a lot of negotiating leverage with the RFA status. Whereas for him, he gets a little bit more, uh, uh, he gets a nice little raise and he gets an opportunity to prove himself on a short-term deal, where if he pans out the way that they hope uh, he can, then he's going to be in line for a big payday so um i i i really did think it was a win-win deal and um you know good for both the ducks and milano to get that done and and not have to go to arbitration or one other like one that. other thing i want to jump in on real quick here is that so the deal that he's coming off of right now would have actually been um i'm trying to see it was a two-way deal it looks like it was an entry-level deal actually he's that's kind of crazy to me it seems like he's been around a little bit longer but it was his elc and so he was making uh, 70k if he was in the minor uh, in the AHL, and so now, granted, I believe he's waiver uh, eligible at this point in time in terms of with his age and everything like that. Um, so it would take a lot for him to get sent down. But I mean, this is a guy that's been put on waivers that I believe at the beginning of last year maybe he was. Um, but regardless, even if he's put on waivers and sent to the minors, he's still going to be getting the the full value of his contract because this is a full one way deal, and I think that's possibly a big sticking point for him. Um, just in case, because he doesn't want to get screwed over by the Ducks. This gets him paid no matter what. Yeah, good points all around. I would say that with this approach that the Ducks are taking, the next two years look a lot like they're taking bets on guys and hoping that they work out, because as we've seen, the Ducks are not really willing to fully rebuild and really get that 
the maximum chance at a top pick, although they're kind of doing that inadvertently by just being so bad the last couple seasons. But I think this is kind of the alternative that they're that they're taking on, which is we're going to take flyers on guys and maybe guys who are, I don't want to, I mean, I hate, to, I hate the term damaged goods, but guys who other teams have kind of moved off of or just don't really like anymore and saying, hey, come to our team, we can give you an opportunity and you know we've you know we've seen a little bit from you in the past to to at least have some confidence to buy in for the short term and so i mean we saw we saw that with daniel sprong last year which cj brought up and that is a pretty low floor if if it doesn't work out for milano but i am i am getting the impression it's not going to be that bad i mean i'm sure, i know you weren't saying that that's what's going to happen but it is a possibility i don't see it as a as a significant possibility because Milano already seems to just be trusted more by coaches than Daniel Sprong ever has been in the NHL. And so, Uh and he doesn't seem to have the kind of bad rap that follows Sprong around, but that's what the Ducks are doing. They're taking flyers on guys, even their own prospects. I mean, we saw with the Troy Terry extension saying, Hey, bridge deal, right? I mean, not, not that these guys are really getting anything else, but let's see what they can do. Danton Heinen is an example of this. He's already on a contract. So, if the Ducks can hit on a couple of these guys and whoever they draft at sixth overall pans out, Trevor Zegras enters the league and is a difference maker rather quickly, then this approach could work out really well for Bob Murray. But that remains to be seen very much so. It actually reminds me a lot of what Chicago is kind of trying to do as well, trading for guys like Dylan Strom, who other teams have, like the Coyotes, were just not high on him anymore. So we'll see. It's working out for the Blackhawks right now with a 1-0 series lead on the Oilers. Yeah. So that that let's uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I'm really itching to talk about that. So do you guys have anything else on Milano or the Ducks in general that maybe I that, that we've missed here so far? Um, I think what would be interesting is the fact that I know there for those of you who haven't heard, there's some talk within the league about some scrimmage games between the teams that are not in these uh, play-in tournaments or playoffs. Um, So that would be the bottom seven teams, including the Ducks, Kings, Sharks, you know, everybody in there, Um, which I think could be kind of interesting. We're going to have to see what happens. Who knows if that's going to happen, but I know that there's been chatter for that. So we may not have seen the last of Ducks hockey until December or January or whenever the next season starts. Yeah, it definitely be nice to get hockey back as, especially for the Ducks to play. And it would make sense to get, get at least some guys on the ice, get them some playing time, um, be able to see what you have. I think from a Ducks perspective, it'd be awesome to see Trevor Zegras in that, in that situation where it's almost as if it's a win-win, no matter what he's able to get playing time. Ducks fans are going to able to see him. It's a no pressure situation. It's just really going to be really, really nice. Yeah. We'll see. I (laughs) did. Who's the best of the worst, the best of the worst tournament. Have we, they have to call it that. Have we recorded a main pod since Troy Terry? I believe that we talked about it a bit no, on a Patreon. We, we haven't done one of these in a month. So, so <laughs> I, I believe we talked about it on the yeah. Patreon pod, but might as well. Let's just touch on it really briefly um, before jumping into the games. Troy Terry signed uh, an ex- uh, contract extension slash new contract with the Ducks. Uh, two-year deal. Uh, or, sorry, three-year deal worth $1.45 for, for $1.45 a year. Um, really good signing for the Ducks. Um, he's able to get a contract that is almost a prove me type deal that's a one-way deal gets him paid no matter what if he gets sent down um 
I mean, what are your guys' take on the contract? Well, for Felix. Troy Terry, I mean, I think that it's a it's a good deal for Troy Terry because although you can be really high on Troy Terry and also admit that he hasn't really done a whole lot at the NHL level yet in terms of the things that usually get guys paid, a.k.a. goals and assists. I mean, in, mm-hmm. in 81 games at the NHL level, he has 20, 28 points. So that's not really much to write home about. And yet the Ducks have clearly seen enough to trust him with a three-year extension. And I think it's well-deserved because although it's a it's a modest pay bump, if you compare it to the his last contract, which actually had a lot of bonuses worked into it, um, now he has more guaranteed money. He's not on a two-way deal anymore, so he's going to get paid the same, even if he gets sent down. And just by his play, especially last season, both in San Diego and Anaheim, I thought that he actually showed a lot of growth in some key areas, just showing essentially that he could be a contributor in some kind of fashion. I think that it might be it might be still less likely that he becomes a kind of second-line level offensive contributor, but he at least showed that he can definitely be a sound defensive player, that he can draw penalties, that he can work along the wall and, you know, be actually a threat in open ice. And the if the production follows to a 40 to 60 point level, then that's awesome during the life of this contract. So I think it's a great deal for him. I think it's a it's a great deal for the Ducks as well. And I think Troy Terry showed enough last season to make this a good bet to make. And I think personally, I think he will make good on that bet and become a quality second liner for this team. I really, I wrote an article about it at the fourth period, did a, did a bunch of digging on Terry and, I got to say he he was good last season. Of course, I'm not I'm not trying to make it sound like he was a first line or anything like that, but I think he had a quietly solid year and he showed also down in San Diego that he's just too good for that league. He he's he's not going back to the AHL and I think that his contract kind of reflects that with the fact that it's a one-way deal. You could almost say that hashtag #Troy Terry is very good. Right. <laughs> well, he's very uh, good. He's very good in a specific context. Yep. Not not to say that he's a first liner. He's going to be an all star or anything like that. <laughs> all right, CJ. CJ, what did you think before we move on to the games? I think Felix pretty much nailed it. I think that this was a reward for him. Obviously, he didn't set the league on fire. But for those of you who remember, for those of you who pay attention to some of the underlying numbers, Troy Terry had one of some of the better underlying numbers from roughly about February on mm-hmm. and before he was sent back down to mm-hmm. San Diego. Mm-hmm. And so he I, and specifically, I think where I saw some of the biggest improvement from him. And one of the things that I was really looking for him to do was um, for him uh, controlling that power play from the half wall uh down on that right side he has some great playmaking abilities some of those blind passes that he was making to open up space and shooting lanes for one timers were fantastic and that's something that the ducks really haven't had in a while which has contributed a lot to their weak power play and just special team numbers so um i I really liked seeing that you know terry was pretty much dominant on the power play when he was full-time in san diego before he made the jump and so now we're starting to see some of that translate to the the NHL and the fact that that's starting to translate is very very good news so I think that if nothing else you're probably going to have a guy who can quarterback a power play from that uh, from that side 
even if he doesn't necessarily get to be a first-line talent, you've got a guy who's going to be a threat to score on special teams, and that's something that the Ducks could desperately use. So I think he was rewarded for that, and um, I think this sets him up very nicely to be able to show what he's got. So with Troy Terry, I agree that he improved on the power play. I 100% think that he could actually become a key contributor there. But, Jake, I know that you've been frustrated at times with how the Ducks have developed Troy Terry. And I think at this point, it's you could almost say that they've done a good job with him. I mean, if you look at just how he's come along, he wasn't he wasn't playing this well in his first season. You could argue that maybe this would have happened anyway, that it's just a natural progression. But you do see guys come out of college or junior, and they don't really have this kind of development curve like for example, Sam Steele really struggled this year, and the Ducks never really sent him down <laughs> to San Diego. They they never made him kind of work his way back up. And so I think, however they've chosen to go about it, maybe it's been by accident, but you could say it's working out for him so far. Yeah, I, I I've had my issues uh, with uh, with how they've developed him for sure. I, I think certain times they sent him down too much. I think that last year it made sense. This year I had my complete issues and i feel like there's still definitely uh relevant issues with the way they sent him down because he was one of the best players on the team by the end of the season or by the time they sent him down um i i think you guys kind of hit the nail on the head with kind of everything that you've said um the only thing that i will add is that i think that the ducks and this is the crux of a lot of kind of my troy terry love is that i think that the ducks are a better team with troy terry on on the ice than they are without him the results have not followed and i think that's why this is not a bigger deal. We're not talking about a three, four million dollar deal, uh, four million a year deal uh, for for Troy Terry. We're talking about one point four five a year over three years. So it's not as if he bro- he got this massive deal. They had to back up a Brinks truck for him. But this is a solid deal for him, a solid deal for the Ducks, um, and it makes a lot of sense. I I totally agree, and hopefully for Troy Terry and the Ducks, it all works out. I think if he just remains kind of where he's at right now. He should at least be a, a contributor at the NHL level. And it, it is still mesmerizing to me that they never sent down Sam Steele at any point last season. Where And the season before, he played 53 games in San Diego. And I think he was far worse defensively than Troy Terry this season. I understand that he's a center and that he's got much a, di- a much different set of responsibilities. But even still, if he's not really showing progress in those areas maybe it's better to send him down to kind of just slow the game down a little bit and have him get back up to speed. I I think that a big reason why the Ducks felt so good about Sam Steele this year is because I think he was good in the he was really good in the faceoff dot for a while. Am I misremembering that? I think yeah, he was. He, yeah, so he was winning faceoffs, but I don't know what other evidence there really was that he was this solid every night kind of center for the team and so I mean, I, I don't it's not that I want them to send down Sam Steele, but I do think that it's just interesting the dichotomy between how they've treated Steele and how they've treated Terry. So moving on, anything else you guys want to add about that? Uh, no, I think I'm all good. Yep. That's it. Okay. So with all of that being said, it's time to get into these games that we watched over the weekend. So for everyone that's been listening to us, you, whether you're a, a new listener or you're a longtime listener, you're, obviously a listener because you're a Ducks fan or you follow the Ducks and you want to know more about the team. Right now, the Ducks aren't playing. And whenever the du- there's news relating to the Ducks, 
we're going to do everything we can to break that down on the pod and, and get that to you. But there's a lot of hockey going on. And so we figured, why not just talk about it? Why not talk about these games? People are watching. There's not a whole lot else going on right now. And so if maybe you don't, if maybe you're not that interested in this, that's fine. You know, you don't have to keep listening, but we figured if you enjoy how we talk about the ducks, you enjoy that kind of coverage. We're just going to bring that to the rest of the playoffs here and give you something, uh, give you our reactions to what you're watching on TV. Since I would assume that if you're listening to us, it's because you want to hear our reactions and what we have to say. So we're just going to bring that to a much wider net, a much wider array of teams. So it's going to get interesting. If you are following us on Twitter at crash the pond, we posted an article on Friday with all of our predictions. And so I'm not going to just list them out right now because that that would be a little boring, but we will mix them in and you will see how they kind of affect our reactions also, here. So let's start. Let's also, go, go also, ahead, I want, also, I want to say, if you want to hear our more well thought out kind of explanations for the pick, at least for me and Felix uh, on them, go check out the most recent Patreon episode. Uh, it was me and Felix kind of breaking down these series and going through why we pick things the way we did. Well, and- also, also on the website, we actually... So it's funny you say that, Jake, because... CJ and I gave decently well thought out explanations for our picks in the article. Wow, wow! You provided one sentence and for each pick. Do I welcome everybody? This is the roasting Jake. <laughs> should, pod. should I? Is it is it the roasting Jake pot or is it the? I mean, let me Felix let me just l- l- let me just quote Jake Rudolph here. I am going with my heart in this one and picking the Coyotes because they are wearing the Kachina jerseys. That simple. <laughs> Yeah, you know what? I mean, wait. to be fair, though, that Kachina jersey wait. is fire. Wait, 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 wait. I'm not saying it's really need much so, more. Hold up one sec. Let, let, let's back, back it up. Back it up for a quick second here, please. You're, you're not going to win this let one. Let me defend myself. We had established early on on Friday morning, I believe, that we were going to do this article, that we were going to come up with picks. Felix added, uh-huh. do we add a description for why we were picking things? I said, sure, but let's keep it brief. And then Felix was like, all right, so like a one-sentence elevator-type pitch. I was like, sure, one sentence to two sentence is great. Well, I I Uh did mine first. One sentence, two sentence, pretty much all of mine. You go to Felix. It starts to get a little bit more in-depth, two to three sentences, maybe four for some of them. (laughs) Then you go to CJ, way more. So I just would like to establish that I followed the prompt that we had all set, and I got uh, those rugs uh, taken out from underneath me. To make me look bad. Well, I just want to clarify that that's what we said early in the morning, and the article didn't go up for about four hours later. <laughs> and you saw what we were typing in the post. Nope. You had didn't. time to see that. Nope. No, I didn't. So Never you looked. had time to Never adjust. Looked. Never you, looked. You were given. You were given a hey, proper. If uh, everyone warning. wants more, I'm in-depth, just here so I won't get fined. If everyone wants more in-depth opinions, go check out the Patreon episode <laughs> that we did. That well, was the anyway, whole point. Yeah. The Patreon episode, it, it might age very poorly with some of the things that were said, but that's fine. That's fine. I mean, you can't be, I'm going with them because of the Kachina jerseys. So let's just. I would just... like everybody to know that I was not part of that Patreon episode. And if everything ages like milk from what you guys said yeah. in that episode, I would like the record to show that I am the most accurate of the three of us. Yeah, you may, you may be uh, very well off because you weren't in that one. Boom. Better better to be zero for zero than zero for ten. Okay. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> let's uh let's just get into these games. So not to rehash the debates that occurred on that episode and in our group chat, but so 
9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time on Saturday morning was the game then the series that we've probably disagreed with on the most, at least on the on the podcast for sure. Uh, it got a little heated at times. New York Rangers against Carolina Hurricanes. So the Hurricanes won this game three to two, and it was a very very intense game from the start. Oh yeah, crazy amounts of hitting. There was a fight right. I mean, within the first ten minutes. I was shocked by the level of physicality. It felt I felt like I was watching a UFC event and not a hockey game for a little bit, but it was great. It was awesome. I didn't realize these teams disliked each other so much. The game settled in, though, pretty nicely, and you kind of saw throughout this that the, the Hurricanes were just so much more solid in all three zones, and the, the Rangers really struggled to create offense and to find ways to attack the Carolina net, and ultimately it worked out for the Hurricanes. They, you know, the... Rangers kind of made it interesting at the very end, and but ultimately they, the Hurricanes pulled it out. So, what did you guys think of this game, CJ? Let's start with you. I thought it was a fun game. Um, I think that it, it was funny because New York does have some very good offense, especially when led when you know Artemi Panarin is going at his best. New York is pretty hard to stop. Uh, that being said, they do have a lot of holes in their lineup. Their defense in particular is just mostly nowhere to be found outside of a couple spots here and there. Um, they do have the great goaltending, and we saw Lundqvist get a surprise start for that game. But I, I, I think overall, I think Carolina just showed how deep they were um, and the fact that they could just roll line after line after line. I don't think New York can roll the same type of offensive depth that Carolina can and uh you know that and it was great too because that first period was one of the most intense kind of playoff periods i've seen in 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 a, in a while in like the last few seasons so watching that game was was definitely really good and carolina gets out to the start that i think they were hoping for especially because i don't think they were as good as they wanted to be this year so if you're a member of the carolina hurricanes or if you're a fan of them you're feeling pretty good about their start jake um yeah, it was a very fun game. This was one that was physical right away. It was competitive right away with the Hurricanes eventually kind of pulling away a little bit, but uh, Rangers ended up coming back to tie it up or get it close to being tied at 3-2 final. Um, but one of the things, my biggest takeaways from it was I actually had forgotten about some of the deadline moves that the Hurricanes had made, and that actually, oh, that yeah. makes me even more confident <laughs> in my Hurricanes pick for this series. The fact that they have Vincent Trocheck. That's just an insane deal that they were able to swing to be able to get him. The fact that they have Sammy Votnin, that just warms my heart even more that and makes me want them to win even more. Um, you know, this just kind of proved kind of what I had thought that, yes, the Rangers do have some talent. Yes, they're they're a good team. <laughs> they were buoyed by Henrik Lundqvist really having a great, great game. But the Carolina Hurricanes are just the better team. and And to me, there's just not a question about that. Yeah, so I mean, one thing I to note, agree. one thing to note in this game is that the Hurricanes were missing both Brett Pesci and Dougie Hamilton. Yep. And that is potentially an an issue moving forward. It didn't affect them in this game, but they do have some good defensive depth, one of the better groups in the league, but I don't know even if they get by the Rangers. I don't know we we don't know how long those guys are going to be out for. You know, everything is so unclear with this unfit to play way of communicating when guys are out that we just don't know what's going on there. But 
it's not great <laughs> if you're missing those guys. That definitely lowers yeah. their ceiling. But for the Rangers, the, the biggest issue for the Rangers is that they just couldn't solve Carolina's intense forecheck. So the Rangers really thrive on beating teams in transition. And so what you'll see is that they often have three, almost two, to th- always at least two to three forwards just floating up by the blue line in the in the defensive zone because they want that kind of quick up pass off the glass or up the wall, and they just go flying. But when you have a team like the Hurricanes that's is sending guys constantly pressuring, the Hurricanes actually dump in the, the puck at the highest rate of any team, at least in the last regular season. So they're going to grind you down. And if you don't have a forward that's coming low for that easy bumper pass, it's going to be really hard to break the puck out. And that's what I just kept seeing is the Rangers just refuse to adjust to that. And I think that they're going to have to change a little bit about how they play if they want to make this series competitive. The issue is, are they even capable of doing that? So I could see this series getting very short for the Rangers unless they make some key adjustments. We'll have to see. And we'll see. I mean, Henrik Lundqvist played great in game one, but he didn't have a particularly good season for them, a good regular season. And so what's the status for Shesterkin? We, we just don't know. So this is a pretty tough start for the Rangers. Even though this the score looks doesn't look too bad, I think that there's a lot of... A lot of issues that they have the, to contend with moving forward. The one, the one thing I will say is that if this game script were to be repeated, this is exactly the type of game script that the Rangers would want. Both teams getting seven power plays. Um, the Rangers yeah. were held. <laughs> the Rangers were held scoreless on their seven power plays. The Hurricanes scored one. That ends up being the difference in the series or in this game is that the Hurricanes potted one and the Rangers didn't. But I mean, this was a seri- This was a game that. There were 14 penalties in total, 14 power, 14 power plays in total, 42 minutes of penalties. And so if you're the Hurricanes, I think that's somewhat concerning because I think the Rangers, where they can really capitalize is on the power play because they do have that high end talent in Artemi Panarin and Mika Zabinishad. And so if you're the Hurricanes, you want to keep this series at five on five as much as you can. And so to me, that would be mm-hmm. the only concern from a Hurricanes perspective and a big plus from a Rangers perspective is if they can get that amount of power plays, I would count on the Rangers to definitely pot some and some coming their way in regression in terms of if they get seven next game. So speaking of teams that had a really tough start with a lot of unanswered questions right now, let's talk about the Edmonton Oilers and how they fared against the Chicago Blackhawks. This was an ugly one if if you're an Oilers fan. So the, the Blackhawks win 6-4 to four in one of the cra- – not the craziest games, but just how bad this started for the Oilers. So they actually got on the board first with a beautiful goal from Connor McDavid. I think it was on the power play. And then after that – the Blackhawks proceeded to score to score four unanswered goals, and so, and Mike Smith was about as bad as you'd expect him yeah. to be. We got a we Mike got a Smith butt was Mike We Smith. got a butt goal. We got a butt goal, guys. It, yeah, he. So the first goal that he allowed, he misplayed the puck behind the net. So you know the the sky was blue that day, basically, and then the the <laughs> the Blackhawks just shot it off the, his backside and into the net. So or the Blackhawks shot. Of his backside into the net. So it was just a really ugly game for the Oilers. And I think that what's really concerning for the Oilers isn't so much that their goaltending was so bad because, you know, that can vary game to game. And I I would be shocked if Koskinen didn't start next game. And he actually was pretty solid down the stretch. It's that they actually got outplayed at five on five. That was the part that I was not expecting. You know, the 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 McDavid line was was outshot, outshot attempted at, at five on five. 
and that was supposed to be possibly one of their advantages in this series. The the Blackhawks are so bad. They're such a bad defensive team, and they're so bad at 5-on-5 five five that if they can't make that a strength, if the Oilers can't make that a strength, I mean, the Blackhawks have a legitimate chance at winning the series. So what did you guys think? CJ, let's, uh, let's start with your reaction here. Loilers. That's that's what. <laughs> that's really all I have to say. It's just you know I think that was that's the pick so far that I've messed up. I had the Oilers beating the Blackhawks in three. Both both because, of you did. I mean, it, as as flawed of a team as the Oilers are, they uh, you know they have two of the best players in the game in Leon Draisaitl yeah, and, and they have the league's David. best power play. So. That should and they matter. had the league's best power play. Exactly. And the Hawks are just not good. Like, yeah, they can pot some goals here and there. But, like, to be completely honest, they just don't have it. And so the fact that Edmonton just completely collapsed, you know, after that first goal. And um, I know they kind of they made it interesting a little bit at the end. But I was kind of shocked at, at what went down here. And the fact that Connor McDavid was outshot. You know, McDavid is not good at defense like at all um but that being said he usually creates so much offense that at the end of the day it doesn't matter too much and that just when you basically see what happens that if mcdavid is basically shut down for the most part his goal aside this team is really in trouble so that's going to be something to, to to pay attention to going forward yeah you hate to see it <laughs> yeah um uh, J- jake you're <laughs> sound a little more sarcastic felix so one thing i did want to just say though quickly sorry jake is that fine i actually i actually still have faith that the oilers can win this series despite this ugly first game because oh, yeah. Yeah. the blackhawks i i'm just sticking to the blackhawks are bad until they legitimate until they actually win a series i'm, I'm I... not gonna say they're good until they pull it out i'm still feeling pretty confident in my oilers in five don't get me wrong I think that that is still pretty likely to happen. Um, I, I think the Oilers just have the more talent. I, I think this game kind of showed the the flaws with the Oilers. I mean, you said it best. The the Blackhawks ended up controlling play in this game. They ended up on the better side uh, of 50% for expectables four percentage with, uh, let me get to it very quickly, but they ended up at 55%, whereas the Oilers were at 44 uh, Granted, this is the funniest part. Per expected goals, do you want to guess at five on five what the expected goal totals were for the uh, Blackhawks and what they were for the Oilers. Is this money puck or uh, natural stat? Natural stat trick at five on five. We'll just tell us. 1.48 to 1.17. Yeah, I mean, but but there were, I believe there were also a lot of power plays in this it game. It was all, there were three goals scored at five on five. All of them were for the Oilers. So the Blackhawks, uh, sorry, all of them yeah. were for the Blackhawks. My bad. Uh, all of them were for the yeah. Blackhawks. Every other goal in this game was scored on the power play. Um, yeah. So, but I mean, that kind of shows the Blackhawks control played. They had all three goals at five on five in this game. And I mean, you look at some of the stats from the season. It's not as if that there was a big, uh, big gap between these two teams. The Oilers on the season were per evolving hockey, 48.69 expected goals, four percentage. Uh, Blackhawks were 47.38. The Blackhawks actually would generate more chances per game. Uh, 2.5 expected goals, four per 60 as compared to the Oilers, 2.39. And it, so it's not as if the the Blackhawks are don't have offense. They actually would generate more chances five on five than the Oilers would. 
the thing for the Oilers is they had the power play to back it up and really be able to capitalize on things. And so this is a situation that um, it's not shocking that the Blackhawks were able to dominate the play against the Oilers because, I mean, let's be real, the Oilers weren't a great team this past year. And and I think that's the key. (laughs) I think that's the key thing here. It really is. So it's going to be interesting, but the the Blackhawks did not show much better either in the regular season. And so I still have faith that the Oilers can win this one, but that I, I would be lying if I said that that faith wasn't shaken a little bit after this game. I did not, I did not expect them to be so lackluster, especially at even strength. So we shall see. I mean, according to some, it's because Connor McDavid is not enough of a leader or something like that. He's not charismatic enough. <laughs> So, oh, oh, oh God! God. No, he, he, we, he said that his blandness was rubbing off onto teammates. We we we've already just got insane takes coming from that one loss, and we've got another game to talk about involving a Canadian team, which I'm curious to see what the hot takes are going to be. So, let's move on to another game that was a little less uh, a little less high profile. It's the Florida Panthers against the New York Islanders, but I actually enjoyed this game. I mean, it, it wasn't. It definitely was not. It was pretty much the polar opposite of the of the Oilers game where this one ended up two to one Islanders winning. And if you look at expected goals in all situations on money puck, it was 1.6 to one in favor of the Islanders. So this was a classic Barry Trotz Islanders game. They got a lead and shut it down the rest of the way. I thought that overall the the Islanders did exactly what they wanted to do. They got good goaltending. Sergei Bobrovsky didn't actually look that bad to me. The goal he did, one of the goals he let in was through the five hole, which wasn't, ideal but overall I thought he was fine so I had the Islanders winning this series in five games I think on our website and I'm feeling pretty strong about that still so Jake how is your how is your just thought process looking right now with this series um I mean I I, you had the Panthers I had I should should have our predictions yes yes I have them up right now I have Panthers in five so I mean my explanation is I don't really have a strong opinion I still don't have a strong opinion on this series um i mean this was you don't just get to choose the ones you don't just get to choose the ones you don't care about to justify getting it wrong by the way i mean i'm just putting that out there just just putting that out there sure sure i mean we have a six pack by the way out there for everyone out there we have a six pack bet on this (laughs) i don't know if cj actually ever agreed to it but you know what he's in it now um but uh basically the the person with the worst uh record has to buy a six pack for the person with the best record I don't remember this, but you know what? I'm, I'm no, down we, for we didn't actually hey, specify that. it that way. CJ going along we- with a bet as compared to, for anyone that's a Patreon listener, Felix backing <laughs> out from a bet idea that no. I had. So all we said so far is winner gets a six-pack. Nothing else has been agreed upon. Oh, just, well, just winner gets a six-pack. Lo- loser so. buys the six-pack. Middle person doesn't do anything. Yeah, well, that, Felix, that's, where, that, that, where's the six-pack coming from? Is this coming from just like it should be evenly split between the the second <laughs> no. and third place? But th- no, no, <laughs> no. Okay, no. well, I'm getting Regardless. a bit overruled Regardless, here. Regardless, back that's to the series. Um, this series, I mean, it kind of went with the way that you expected. There were some score effects. The Islanders got up to nothing. Uh, kind of sat back on it. Really relied upon their defensive zone structure that Barry Trotz has kind of instilled there. The Panthers were eventually able to get one with a brilliant play by Jonathan Huberto, um, but they weren't really able to find anything near the end to be able to really kind of uh, pick out that second goal to be able to make it two two. So um, this is going to be a tight series, I think, no matter what. Um, I don't really. 
it could go in four. I don't really see this one being a sweep for the Islanders. Maybe they're able to, with their defensive zone structure, be able to stifle the Florida Panthers offense and really be able to uh, capitalize on that. But I, I think Florida is going to at least get one or two um, out of this and really force it. So, um, yeah, I, I think that. So you both, both of you. So, CJ, you also have Florida in five. So you, you've got some explaining yeah. to do now. <laughs> yeah, I think that realistically, New York should not be this good. Um, uh, they, they, they really shouldn't. There isn't a whole lot of uh, confidence to inspire. Like, they're not a bad hockey team by any stretch of the imagination, but they they just seem to kind of pull, pull games out of nowhere. And I think a lot of that you could probably credit to Barry Trotz. I think Barry Trotz is a very good coach. Um, I do think that he has been bailed out by goaltending a lot since he joined New York. New York's gotten some very good goaltending. Um, but the uh, to me, I just... Barkoff, Huberto, um, uh, Aaron Ekblad, I, I, those guys to me are just too good. I uh, Other than maybe Matthew, Matt Barzal. Um, on the other team, like those guys would be the best players on that team. And so I just, I think Florida is, is too good at the end of the day. The big wild card is going to be Sergei Bobrovsky for me. He just did not have a good year. He didn't have a good year last time. That monster contract, I think that was pretty much panned the second it was signed. And we saw this year where what he had a 900 save percentage, he may have been sub 900, something like that. So he basically, if he can even be an average goaltender, I think I'm giving the edge I, here to Florida. And I think they got that in this game, to be honest. I don't think he was bad. They did. No, he, he wasn't he, bad. He was, I'd say he was very He was average. okay. He was, he was just fine in this game. Mm-hmm. I mean, there was, I'm just going strictly off the numbers here. The, the Islanders had 1.6 expected goals and they scored two. So... Slightly worse, very slightly worse than expected. Because the one, the second goal, I think that the Islanders scored, uh, or was it the first? I'm I'm forgetting. Sorry, everyone. Watched a lot of hockey this weekend. Went through the five hole, which you know you always. It was a straight on shot that went through the five hole. You never want to see that, but whatever. I mean, he wasn't the reason they lost. The reason that the Panthers lost is because they couldn't generate any kind of offense. What the Islanders do and why they, they kind of break math, it seems, is because they just, they allow, they allow, a, they basically do what people claim that the Ducks did back in the day, which is that they actually yeah. really just allow people to shoot from the outside and pile up that volume, but they completely seal off the middle of the ice, which is why the expected goals look a lot different yeah. than, let's say, the volume. And, and that, that checks out to me. They act, and I think, I actually think the goalies benefit from playing in this system a lot. Um, Semyon Varlamov was barely tested in this game. So it's going to be interesting if the Panthers can break free at all and just get a couple of moments of brilliance, then it's going to be hard for because the Islanders aren't really built to come back in games. They are built to get a quick lead and then just sit on it. And if they aren't able to do that, if the Panthers can impose themselves early, then they could legitimately win this series. But we'll just have to see. I, I actually, this is one of the better series in terms of just the, the clash of styles. It's just the two teams are not necessarily uh, glamour franchises. Let's just put it that way. Um, actually, kind of the complete opposite. Uh, okay. Any other thoughts on Florida, New York? Uh, I'm pretty good, actually. Does John Tavares regret changing teams now? No. <laughs> no, not at all. Okay. <laughs> okay. Hey, I don't know. One, his team is is zero and one, and his old team is one and zero. Clear, 
clear proof. Yeah. Proof is in the pudding. Yeah. One game. <laughs> One game definitely definitely makes a decision incorrect. Okay, let's talk about this next game. I mean, this was a moment for me in my own life as a sports fan. I was thinking about this, so in case you don't know, in case you haven't figured it out by now, I guess everyone has to take a, a drink of uh, warm Miller Light now per the rules of this show because we're about to talk about the Canadians a lot. I'm sorry. I apologize in advance. I'll try to control my emotional outburst as much as I can. But the Canadians did what many people said they could not do, which was beat the Pittsburgh Penguins. If you just read some of the predictions and the talk on you know, sports, just podcasts and people on the broadcast talking about it, it's like David versus Goliath. And yeah, the Canadians are the 12th seed for a reason. They are not a very good team, but for people who follow analytics, you saw how good of a five on five team they, they can be. And that should at least give you a, a fighting chance against well, almost anyone, unless and, you're playing the Tampa Bay lightning or something like that. And, or, well, actually not even. And, and so far so much that where, so I have this up right now, uh, Micah McCurdy gave them a 53% chance in terms of the Canadians to win this series. Uh, yeah. Let me see. The money, disrespect mo- was mo- pretty real. Money puck has 59.6%. Evolving wild has the Canadians as a 66.6% favorite yeah. to win the series. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but they, they were saying that their their prediction model for series is, is not the best. True. But still, people yeah. that look at stats have the Canadians in a totally different light than what you hear on TV, which is, oh, you know, how are they going to contain Malkin and Crosby? How are they going to do this? And look, I think that that, I think that the truth is kind of somewhere in between. I think that the numbers paint a, a bit of an optimistic view of the Canadians, but I also think that the broadcasters and just kind of the more mainstream media is, is basically just in a, in an indirect way are basically just showing how much they didn't follow the Canadians this last year. It's like, Oh, well, yeah, if they have price praise, if price plays well, they have a chance. And uh, yeah, that's all I'm going to say. Cause I don't know anything else about this team, which is fine. The Canadians have not given people much reason to follow them the last couple of years. So they win this game three to two in overtime. It was about as exciting of a playoff game as I've watched in a long time. It was uh, the Canadian, the Canadians got out to a two zero lead uh, with the first goal coming from Jesperi Kotkaniemi who looked great, by the way, had very good numbers on the night. And then Nick Suzuki with just a gorgeous glove side snipe on Matt Murray. Um, And then the Penguins came roaring back, tied it up two to two. The game went to overtime and Jeff Petrie on one of the prettier game winning goals. You'll see typically in overtime, the playoffs, especially if it goes a little deeper, it's going to be kind of an ugly one. This was pretty gets kind of a loose puck, curls it around the defender and then just snipes it far side on Matt Murray to win the game. Now, what's interesting, we just went on this rant about how much the Canadians got disrespected. The Penguins outplayed them very badly in this game. It was especially brutal. Yeah. I think in the first five minutes, the shots were already 10-0 Pittsburgh, something like that. But Carey Price. Carey Price was MVP Price for for a night. We'll see if that continues. So. Jake, what did you think? Take, so, take the take it, the ball and run here. I, I think the the thing also, as you mentioned, yes, the Penguins came out uh, like they were shot out of a cannon. And if you were to kind of at least be able to section that off and look at the game after that, it's pretty even and pretty back and forth with the uh, with Pittsburgh having a fair amount more of the shot attempts for a little bit, but Montreal eventually almost uh, taking the advantage once that you uh, start getting into overtime. 
Um, so, and then actually the overtime goal for the Canadians came kind of against the run of play. So this was an exciting game though. This is one where Carey Price definitely showed up and, and played like the Carey Price, uh, of old, um, not like the one that we saw this past season. And Montreal had some really good numbers from some of their players. I mean, the Jeff Petrie, Brett Kulak, uh, D pairing was really, really good for them tonight or last night at 59%, uh, Corsi four percentage. And so it, this is a, this is going to be a series where we're going to kind of see the top end talent of Pittsburgh go up against this team in Montreal that really has the ability to dominate play at five on five. And even though they didn't necessarily do that for the entirety of this game, we saw bits and pieces from that from Montreal and eventually played out for them with them eventually getting the win. Um, I don't foresee this game script really following for all of the games in this uh this series i would expect if this same exact game gets played again pittsburgh probably comes out on top but there's a lot of they good things they should have won there, yeah. yeah there's a lot of good things to be able to take in, or be taken away from montreal and pittsburgh i think has a lot of things to take away that are positive for them to be able to win this series so to me this is one of the more exciting series i think edmonton chicago is one that you look at and you're excited about because it's going to be a tire fire it you it's like you can't look away type of thing it's a car crash and, and this one is more so exciting and something that you want to keep watching because it's actually good right yeah cj what did you take away from all this this madness uh, you know i was just rooting for montreal just to spite you <laughs> um <laughs> fair enough fair no enough. i i uh I, I have the penguins winning in four just because montreal again like a the evolving wild model like the reason why the evolving wild model has montreal winning the series even if they admit the flaws with it is mostly because of the fact that montreal has had really good underlying numbers for most of the season like they're they're definitely a team that um is still needs a lot of work and and they have a lot of up and coming and young players they're an exciting team they're not quite there yet but they play a well-structured game claude julian has them playing a very good game they've got a lot of possession play driving type players and uh they're they're the type of team that i think can cause headaches for some people now pittsburgh for sure is going to be better and i think we did see that i think we saw that game where look pittsburgh should have won this game and most of the time that they do at the end of the day it's it's tough to bet against Sidney crosby and evgeny malkin um among you know several of the other supporting players but at the end of the day um uh, montreal has the ability to steal some games especially with carrie price in net that being said given the way that the ice was kind of tilted in pittsburgh's favor most of the time i, I i'm really skeptical that we're going to see the same result next time. I think Pittsburgh is going to come out a lot harder. Um, you're going to probably see them be a little bit more physical. They're going to attack the net a lot more. And um, I, so I, it'll be really interesting to see how they respond to this game. And the, how they respond is really is what's going to kind of define the best teams. It's going to be really interesting. I'm, although clearly for everyone who doesn't know, I am a Canadians fan. I don't make any secret of that. I all bias aside, I actually think this is the most interesting series of round one, not because the teams involved are necessarily going to go and win at all, but just because it's, it's just one of those matchups that it's two kind of classic franchises. There's some bigger name players on each side and it just, it just has that feel of a classic series. And that's what this game was. And I think, look, as a Canadians fan, of course, I would love for them to get the first overall pick, which they will have, which they could have the opportunity of doing if they lose this series and draft a hometown boy in Alexi Lafreniere. But at the same time, 
what I wanted to see out of this series for them was, hey, okay, if you're going to be in this, play well, and especially have the kids lead the charge. And that's oh. exactly what happened. Kotkin Yemi scored. Nick Suzuki had one of the best games I've seen a Montreal Canadian play, just period. I mean, he was so... Yeah, Suzuki was great. I've been a huge fan of him for a while now. Wait, his, so. his, play, his play on the five-on-three, especially late in the game, when it looked as though that was going to be it and the Penguins were going to take, take over and win, and he was blocking passes, getting in lanes. I mean, that's what you want to see if you're a Canadiens fan is, hey, can that next wave at least take the, take the ball and run with it? Wait, so, so let's back up one second. After all of the talk, Felix... Of the Canadians need to lose. Of they need <laughs> to lose to get Lafreniere. Over, this would be a shame if they won. It would be pointless if they won. Well, here's my thing with You're that. You're pulling that card now. I mean, not, I'm a fan saying, of the team. Not say, not I'm a fan of the team. Not saying that if you, you watch, Felix is allowed to be irrational as a fan not, of the team if he's not, not covering If you're a fan of the team the and you're watching them win, you want more of that. <laughs> it's it's like a drug. You want more of it. Um, but but here's the thing. I, I'm just I'm just calling he, you out a little he, bit on it. That's fine. I mean, I'm allowed to flip flop. It, it's it's my an hour podcast, so I'm allowed to flip flop. But what I will say is this: with this team, what was important to me and kind of what the more I thought about it going to the series was that as long as the, the kids get an opportunity and are the ones leading the way or are really showing improvement and that they are benefiting from playing in this context, that's what's most important. So yeah, if they end up losing the series, then I'll be happy still because they, uh, they will have a chance at Lafreniere and they will pick higher regardless. But if they win and they do it because guys like Kotkaniemi and Suzuki came out and, and gained this valuable experience and, and played really well in the process, that's still kind of a win. It's it's not as good as Alexi Lafreniere, but it's not the end of the world either. So I'm I'm looking at it from a positive perspective. Is that is that good enough for you, Jake? Sure, sure. I was just so freaking happy. I mean, you got to understand. I, actually, you would understand because you guys are Ducks fans. The Canadians have been awful the last two years. And thanks. sure, they narrowly missed. Thanks, thanks for they, that subtle dig. They, they narrowly missed the playoffs t- a couple of years ago, but they haven't had a moment like this, just like the Ducks. They haven't had a moment like this since the 2017, uh, the, the 2017 postseason where the Canadians had that crazy overtime winner with Alex Radulov against the, the Rangers. They haven't done anything since that time and so as a fan of the team to just have an emotional kind of positive moment like that it reminds you why you're a fan of the sport in the first place you know this whole weekend just as kind of an aside has reminded me of why hockey is so great because it's the ultimate team game and but there's also a crap ton of randomness uh there's these awesome moments with overtime winners i mean it was just the best this game was the best okay I, i hope hopefully i didn't lose everybody in the process there but Allow me to have my moment. This was I'm, this was quite a bit for me. I'm allowing it for this show, next week's show, <laughs> depending on if they are able to finish the series. We'll we'll see if we allow you this much time on Montreal. We'll see. CJ and I will. Well, confer. hey, CJ this will this confer. game was this game was also the best game of the weekend. So I think it's it's justified in that way. Uh, yeah, probably. You're right. Name the better game. You're, there was no other game that went to overtime. Yeah, you're maybe right. Colorado, but that was in the round robin. So I don't know if that also counts. didn't go to overtime. Yeah, exactly. So let's move on. <laughs> let's, By the thinnest of margins. Yeah, literally the absolute thinnest. Let's uh, move on here to the final game of the night on Saturday. Calgary Flames against Winnipeg Jets. So 
for the sake of transparency, not that this wasn't going to be given away by Jake anyway, uh, I picked Winnipeg in the series in five. It was a very contentious pick on our Patreon pod. That It got a little heated there. Oh, and of And of us three, I'm the only one who has Winnipeg not only winning the series, but winning a game. So yeah. you both have Calgary in three. Yeah, CJ and, and I are correct. It's, and it's looking pretty good for you because Matt Kachuk purposely sliced <laughs> the back of Mark Shifley's leg. <laughs> he did not. That was not on purpose. Um, Paul, by the Maurice, way, pa- Paul Maurice does not lie. By the w- Paul Maurice is full of it. By the way, there was a tweet that was put out. Uh, I'm trying to look at who it was from. Uh, speaking of Mark Shifley, uh, let me find it really, really quickly. Uh, Sarah Orleski, who I think covers them for TSN, uh, said, Source tells me tonight that Mark Shifley's injury is not believed to be long-term, but he's still doubtful for game two Monday afternoon. Patrick Line is also doubtful. Yeah, that that's about as bad. This, this was the absolute worst way to start the series if you're the Jets, because if they're going to win, it's going to be a long series, but you they need... They absolutely need those guys, Shifley and Line. The, the the formula for success for them is a lot like the Rangers against the Hurricanes, where they can they can be exciting offensively, and if they're getting saves from Hellebuck, they can do that. And if you're missing those guys, you're basically eliminating the only avenue that you have to winning this series. So I'm not feeling pretty good right now about any of this, I got to say. Yeah, it's. Did you guys? <laughs> did, did you guys have I, I any just, any reactions on this? I mean, Winnipeg is a team that has pretty much no defense to speak of, and maybe one good line. Like they're they're. I mean, realistically, the only reason they weren't you know competing for the first or second overall pick in the, in the in the lottery was because Connor Hellebuck just absolutely balled out the entire season. Yeah. Like Hellebuck should win the Vezina. Should win MVP. Um and he, he, he's got a legit yeah. case should for have. MVP. And so and so that's the thing is that if Winnipeg is going to win any games, it's basically going to be on the back of Hellebuck and for a while there Hellebuck was again getting just absolutely shelled during this game against Calgary. You know, see what you want about Calgary. I do have questions about Calgary being able to put away teams, but I I don't see any reason why they can't easily take care of Winnipeg and especially if Shifley and Line are going to miss some time. That's at least like 50 percent of your offense right there they basically yeah. don't stand a chance yeah, yeah. that it, is a hard one to yeah, to, to look at i just think calgary is the better team although it is interesting that in uh 38 minutes and 46 seconds of five on five time winnipeg just control play 58 percent to 41 percent for expected goals four percentage some of it yeah, definitely I is going to be some of it's definitely going to be score effects there though um yeah I just, but the, the game itself was not so bad it's just the no. things that happened no that are not game Correct. related, AKA the injuries. <laughs> yeah. I, so. Yeah. And, and I think the, 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 one of the big things to point out as well is that Johnny Goudreau, uh, the goal that he scored yesterday was the first goal that he'd scored since 2015 against the ducks in that second round series. In a playoff um, game. So it's been a long time coming for him. Yeah. 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 I mean, the flames are an interesting team. They're just so uninspiring to me. That's why I kind of just went with the jets pick because I thought, why the heck not? But you want it, you want it to be contrary. Now I am finding out why the heck not. So yeah, I mean the jets, it's, def- it's okay. The jets defense is not good. I, I think that's what's, the we- what's weird about their defense is they have some guys that I, that I like that I think are decent, but for whatever reason, they're just 
Well, no, it I, just I, doesn't pan out on the on the team level. I think the issue is they have a lot of good second pairing guys. Yeah, like Dylan DeMello, Josh Morrissey, even a guy like Nathan Bolia. I mean, these are not awful defensemen. No. They're just they're just too high up in the lineup. That, to, that's yeah. the exact issue there is they just don't have the mm-hmm. defensive depth and, and they're they're putting yeah. guys in positions to fail essentially because they just don't have the depth there. And I think that's the biggest issue. And even their forward group, I mean, their forward group's solid at the top end, but besides that, it kind of thins out real quick. And I think that's the big issue for them. And I, I think yeah. even if a game like last night happens again where Winnipeg does control some of the play, I just don't necessarily believe they have the talent. I mean, maybe Hellbook, Hellbook was was fine but he wasn't outstanding in this game maybe if he's able to kind of uh get to where he was during the regular season maybe he's able to steal one but i just i think the flames have too much firepower for winnipeg to keep up with even with hellebuck playing uh insane that's fair so i talked about how montreal pittsburgh is or could be the best series in this uh qualifying round and then I remembered the game that happened this morning, Sunday morning, between the Coyotes and Predators. It was a pretty good game, and those two teams are pretty evenly matched. So just for the record here, I, I'm sensing we should put this out before each recap. So Jake had the Coyotes, shockingly, we've already talked about this, in four because of the Kachina jerseys. But it's fine. Mm-hmm. You know, whatever. Uh, and then I had Nashville in four, which was also very contentious on her Patreon pod. That one was also a tough one to, to get across. And then CJ had Arizona in five. So this game was interesting because it looked really bad early on for the Predators. A lot of their bad kind of tendencies came out, you know, some some really awful penalties taken and the Coyotes went up three to nothing in the first period. They scored late in the first to uh, the Predators sc- scored late in the first to make it three to one and eventually clawed their way back into the game, lose narrowly four to three. And they really dominated the kind of latter half of the game. Of course, the Coyotes were sitting back pretty heavily, but the the Predators at least showed that they could turn it on. And if you look at expected goals in all situations, the Predators actually edged out the Coyotes there on Money Puck. And at 5-on-5, five five, they dominated. It was 1.69 to 0.82. So there was a lot to take away from this game, actually. It was an interesting one. Let's start with Jake since he is, I mean, not no, not to disrespect CJ, but I think Jake has been the more vocal Coyotes supporter Sure. So let's let's start with you, since you're you actually not not more vocal. You're the more fanatical, Coyote uh, supporter. So let, let's start with you. I mean, I feel you like are. CJ and I are on the same page, and you just want to call me out on things always. Um, but no, sure. no, you're you're. I mean, you literally wrote you're picking them because of their jersey. That that yeah. is the definition of a fanatic. Some of these series are legit legit coin flips, <laughs> and we're talking about a completely random five game series on something. Well, it's it's all a bunch. It's a bunch of mediocre teams that couldn't make the playoffs. Yeah, <laughs> and now so, they're all playing each some, other. <laughs> some of these picks, you know, go with the fun fun decision. Go with that. You no, know, you have for it. you have to have strong opinions. You have to have very oh. like that's that's what yeah. this is about. The anyway. Nashville jerseys are trash, and the and the Arizona Kachina oh. jerseys are great. So that's what we, we disagreed on so much was the Nashville yeah. jersey. Oh, because yeah. you said that their old jerseys were better, which I just totally disagreed with. Yeah, although the na- the they were better Nashville than I remember. Awful. The current Nashville they're, jerseys are some of the worst in the league. They're not awful. They're not some of the worst in the league. CJ, but anyway, would you continue. Like to chime in very quickly. This is an important matter. We're talking about fashion here. <laughs> I mean. Uh, 
dude, there's really no argument here that Arizona absolutely wipes the well, floor no, with Nashville. But it, sure. Are, Nash- are, no. are Nashville's home jerseys the worst in the league? Uh, they're not. They're absolutely. They're down not. there. They're, they're competing. I don't know <laughs> if they're worse than. The I league, think you could argue Arizona's there. home jersey, not the Kachina jersey, might be worse than Nashville's. No, I disagree. No. I like the the Coyote logo. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, just, I like I, I like them too, but I'm just saying you're it's just a hater. It's not in a no. I like the Coyotes. I actually like what they've done. I just nope. I'm just saying I don't hater. I don't think that they have this awesome look. That anyway, whatever. This was about Nashville being the worst jersey, and I just disagree <laughs> with that. By Fundamentally, the way, there's a, there's a funny discrepancy here between uh, evolving uh, hockey and natural statric. Evolving hockey actually has the Coyotes as coming out on top uh, in expectables four percentage uh, in all situations. Um, so just an interesting note there. Um, yeah. This is why we give our money to uh, Evolving Wild Patreon. Yes. Well, but what does natural statric have? So, well, here, the, the final expected goal totals on the night were 3.32. Um, I believe that that is in all situations uh, and 2.88 uh, for Nashville. Whereas I mean, nat- natural that statric, checks out to me personally. Natural statric has it. Uh, sorry, uh, the exact opposite, basically. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how. You, I mean, regardless of what the stats say, Nashville really dominated the the back half of that game, and so if Arizona did have an advantage statistically, yeah, it couldn't have been a big one. So anyway, but. But getting big, let's getting, get, getting let's back get to the your point, reactions. Arizona, yeah. Arizona definitely got a bit lucky. I mean, one of their early goals, what was a double deflection goal off Matt Duchesne yeah. from the complete wrong angle mm-hmm. and eventually finding the back of the net. Um, but yeah. I mean, the Coyotes did what they needed to do. They were able to generate offense. This is a team that doesn't necessarily, uh, outside of Taylor Hall, have any great world beaters on this roster. Phil Kessel didn't have a great year. I mean. Uh, uh, it, it Taylor Hall even when he got to the uh, Coyotes wasn't outstanding. Um, it was actually kind of documented that his his play there wasn't great. Um, and so I think that the Coyotes really did what they needed to do in this game. They were able to find some offense. They were able to generate play, keep Nashville off the board for the beginning before Nashville was able to find the offense and really kind of uh start generating chances. But some of that's definitely going to be score effects there. So um. I'm happy the Coyotes were able to pull this game out. Um, only, uh, or the positive news out of it is we are potentially going to get two Kachina jersey games now if they lose the next game. This is true. Yeah, CJ, what did you make of yeah. it? I think that, yeah, th- this was a situation where Arizona took advantage of the chances that they were afforded to them. Nashville may have had the edge, especially, as you said, in the back half of that game. But Arizona it was just a kind of a model of execution. And I think, like, I, I was really impressed with um, uh, specifically Taylor Hall and Phil Kessel. Both of them were, I think, as advertised. And, and the way they played was exactly the reason why now ex-GM John Chaiko um, acquired both of them and so they're the type of players that you want to have on your playoff roster phil kessel obviously has his two cups and he's got that experience taylor hall um uh, you know obviously has been a great player for a long time so uh, the arizona might not have been as consistent as they should have been 
Um, but that being said, they did execute when they needed to. So I think this is going to be a really tightly contested series, which is why I do have Arizona going in five. I think the main reason why I do have Arizona taking this series is because of their goaltending specifically. Um, they've got an incredible goaltending duo uh, as long as they can remain healthy. I know that's always a question with Arizona. So if they can remain healthy, I th definitely think they've got the edge. Yeah. Well, thankfully for Predators, they started UC Saros, which is the correct decision. UC Saros is actually pretty good last year. I had the Predators because I just trust a bit more of their talent top to bottom. And I, I'm just not really sold on the Coyotes. And it kind of showed in this game why both teams are in this position because they both had moments where they looked really bad. The, the Predators mm -hmm. took some of the worst penalties you'll see from a team that wants to be considered a playoff team. And the Coyotes at times really struggled to keep the Predators out of their end. So it's going to be a fun one. I actually am hoping that this one goes a little deeper, just not because I, I predicted the Predators to win, but simply because I, I think it's going to be an entertaining matchup. Um, yeah, Darcy Kemper was also really good. That's one thing I wanted to say. Even though the numbers might not say he really carried the Coyotes, I thought especially late in the game he was really strong. So... After that game, there were a couple of round-robin games, which I think just for the purposes of the length of this podcast, we're going to kind of leave to the side a little bit for now. But just to make sure we mention them, the Flyers beat the Bruins 4-1. to And so the reason why we're not going into depth as much with these is, A, we don't have predictions for the round-robin. <laughs> you know, we have predictions for the qualifying series, and that's kind of, I think, what people are more excited about right now. Uh, I honestly didn't watch a ton of that Flyers Bruins game. Nope. The Avalanche did win an exciting game against the Blues. They kind of outplayed the Blues and they won it very late in the game, literally as late as possible with 0.1 seconds left. Nazem Kadri puts them over the top. So that was entertaining, but I don't know, did you guys have anything on those two games? Uh, I just want to say I'm 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 really giving Colorado the benefit here. I think they are going to absolutely um, destroy the series, mostly because Nazem Kadri got all of his teammates uh, custom Gucci slides, <laughs> and when you are rocking that kind of style, especially from him, and we saw that today, like he put the leadership, he puts the slides on the feet, and he uh, scores goals at the last uh, literal tenth of a second. So you yeah. know what, leader. Boom. Colorado, clear, clear, clear leader. Yeah. yeah. Well, Col um, is just fun to watch. <laughs> Colorado's, I think, a they really Colorado's are. a really good team, and they sneakily might be the team that will come out of that, uh, out of that to in first place. And actually, getting that win for them, I, and I don't know, this is probably going to be talked about by a fair amount of people, but I think it's important to note is them picking up that win with points zero one seconds or however much they're they're claiming it was. Um, it is a big deal because when you're dealing with three games in a round robin play um, where the first seed gets the easiest matchup to be able to not only get two points for yourself, but keep the other team from gaining a point. That's a big deal and a big swing when you're trying to, when you're fighting for seeding, when that's going to be essentially made by one, a single point. So this is not a situation where you can just uh, kind of scoff at it. This is a situation where them winning that game in that ma fashion is a big deal. And it's a big deal for their, their matchup moving forward. Um, the other thing that I want to note is what's your take on the round robin format? Cause today I was thinking about it. I'd actually listened to puck soup and they were talking about it a little bit on that podcast, but it, it does seem a little bit unfair. If you are going to criticize one aspect of this uh, play in format, 
to me, that is where you focus because the Boston Bruins uh, <laughs> lost to the Philadelphia Flyers today. So the Boston Bruins have the potential to be the four seed going into the playoffs. Right. Yeah. The actual uh, round of 16. And yeah. this was a team that was, I believe, nine points clear of the next team in the East or something along those lines um, with about 12 games left in the season. So to me, they really probably should have done something along the lines of you come into this with however many points you had in the regular season, and then you just add to that with these games. Yeah, I mean, I get what you're, I get where you're coming from with that, but nothing, nothing is normal right now. True. So, but fair. Like, like if this was, if, it, if this was a fair system, they would have not invited 24 teams. True. <laughs> if if this was fair, yeah, the Montreal's, the New Yorks, those teams would not be here at, at all. So it's just inherently that's the biggest unfair. Thing is that, that's the biggest thing is that like the reason we're having a play-in tournament right now is because it's supposed to do its best to simulate the last few games of the season to give people a chance to get into the playoffs, right? You can't discount, you know, even with the top of the league, you know, I, I, the final few games of every season in a normal season, you usually have, with rare exceptions, you usually have these top teams fighting for seeding. And so if you're going to expand the quote-unquote playoffs to 24 teams to try and get to a final 16 in an effort to simulate basically the last few games of the season, then you kind of have to you kind of have to be consistent. You have to do that the same thing for the top seeds. Is it the fairest well, system? No, let, not really. But like Felix said, nothing is normal, and you kind of have to be consistent on both ends of the standings. I, I'm not necessarily saying I disagree with how they're doing it. I think the group play is fine. I think that that's a, a fine way of doing it. My my issue is that, yes, those final games, you're, you're fighting for seeding. But, for instance, so Boston had 100 points, in se- 100 points in 70 games. The next closest team in the East is Tampa with 92 points in 70 games. So there were 12 games left for Tampa to make up eight points. That's not going to happen. That, that that's just not no it, probably not but you also can't just go straight and be like okay boston you get this everybody no, else fight for seeding. no but i think what they should have done is some sort of weighted format even if it wasn't necessarily they come in with 100 points tampa comes in with 92 some sort of format that would have uh, allowed for boston to have a better chance of getting the first overall seed i i think that in some ways that would have been the better way to go because i guarantee you if boston ends up as the four seed and Toronto ends up winning. Is Toronto the five seed? Is that right? Um, or no, five seeds Pittsburgh. But they there could be reseeding. We could get Boston uh, Toronto in the first round if Pittsburgh loses to Montreal and Toronto. Wins. Why would why would that be an issue for the Leafs? I have no idea. I don't think the Leafs have any reason to. Yeah, fear actually, Boston. no. Sorry, I, I'm I'm overrating where the Leafs were in terms of the standings. But still, <laughs> yeah. Well, let's uh. Let's talk about the Leafs. So they they were the last game that that we all I think collectively watched. Uh, so they played the Blue Jackets, and the Blue Jackets won this game two to nothing. And so let's just go over the picks here. So Jake had Toronto, or sorry, yeah, Jake had Toronto in three. Yep. So that, that goes out the window. Yeah. <laughs> there goes that. But you do have Tor- you do have Toronto <laughs> winning. Uh, I have Columbus in five, and CJ has Toronto in four. So CJ is still alive there. So CJ and I are still alive in our games, correct? What do you guys make of this game? I mean, it was kind of this to me, just to start it off, was the best case scenario type game for the Blue Jackets. I mean, 
They controlled play at five on five. They didn't give the Leafs a ton to work with offensively. The Leafs did have their moments. And when they did, Jonas Corposalo absolutely came through, robbed Austin Matthews in a glorious opportunity from the slot. So probably the Leafs should have had at least a goal on the board. But when you get the goaltending and you play as solid defensively as the Blue Jackets did, this is what happens. And then on top of that, the one goal that was scored, not an empty net from the Blue Jackets, was a pretty soft goal uh, led in by Frederick Anderson, just a shot from the wing by Cam Atkinson. And in a weird way, though, although that goal is it looks bad, Anderson made other great saves throughout the game where you could say, okay, he would have let in one at some point. If it hadn't been that one, there's probably a point where he should have let in a goal, just the way that the Blue Jackets were generating chances. So this is tough for the Leafs, obviously, because they couldn't really get their way offensively and their defense it didn't look horrible, but it also did not show this tremendous growth. It's just one game, but it's just going to be interesting. What? Um, let's start with CJ. What did you think of this one? Yeah, I, I think I was... I can't say I was completely surprised, even though I've got Toronto winning this series. We saw basically the same th- exact thing last year from Columbus in their shocking sweep of the Tampa Bay Lightning, where they just locked down. They know how to get into shooting lanes. They know how to basically make life absolute hell for opposing offenses. And we saw that tonight. Car- Corpusalo uh, definitely bailed them out on a couple of times when they couldn't get that down, but really Realistically, if you look at a lot of the, the the numbers, I just posted some of the game charts on my Twitter, that the uh, Toronto, for the most part, other than a couple of players, really didn't get much in the way of quality chances. Um, uh, Columbus just played a very rigid, structured game. They are a it, they may not be the most fun type of game, but when you had the mass talent exodus that Columbus had last year. Um, realistically, you kind of almost need to adjust, and and Tortorella has shown that he can adjust, and he really did. And so they pull off the win. Um, uh, Toronto is really going to have to try and find a way, I think, to open them up a little bit more. They're going to have to find a way to get better puck movement and to open those shooting and passing lanes in order to get some of those quality chances. I think they have the ability to do that for sure, but this series is not going to come easy for the Maple Leafs yeah and Jake just before you go here just to jump in Mm -hmm. one thing that one thing that really stands out to me the Matthews the Hyman Matthews Nylander line tonight per money puck 31.09 expected goals for percentage so they were just they were shut down they were outplayed by the Blue Jackets and I don't know if that carries over for every stats website but being that far below 50 percent is definitely not a positive now they kind of made up for that though because Marner Tavares Mikheyev, they were very good, 78%. Robertson, Kerfoot, Kapanen were over 50. But you'd, if you're the Leafs, you'd like to see Matthews and Nylander much closer to 50%. So what's your take on it? Since this was another contentious disagreement we had on our podcast. Yeah. So, let's, so let's talk about it. I had this series I thought was going to go one of two ways in terms of the way the, the game script was going to go, how these games were going to be played. Um, it was either Toronto was a team that basically was all offense, no defense. Columbus was the polar opposite of that. All defense, not really that great at generating offense. To me, what I thought and what I thought or what I thought was going to happen was this format where they've had so many months off, where guys are coming in, they're not going to be as sharp as they are. 
that will sometimes lead to not as uh, tight hockey on the back end. That kind of allows for some open hockey, some fire wagon hockey. Uh, we saw that, for instance, in the Edmonton Chicago series. And so I was kind of banking on that necessarily happening or that what that happening in the series, which would definitely favor the Toronto team. Uh, Columbus and John Tortorella basically proved me wrong that they were able to get their players playing well in the defensive zone, having their structure all set and really shutting down a a high powered Toronto offense and limiting the chances. There was a point in the third period where Toronto was trying to generate offense and they were struggling to just get shots off, not only generate high quality shots, but just get a shot on goal. And and to me, that just kind of shows what Columbus does well. And I just didn't expect them to be able to do it in this format. And to me, that's the most surprising thing. That's kind of why I went for Toronto in three. And I was wrong on that. So I still think Toronto mm-hmm. probably is going to end up winning the series. I think their talent's going to come through. I think that probably there's going to be a couple games that will be more open than tonight was um, just because of guys coming back and getting their fitness together. I, I think that they're not going to be able to maintain that level of defensive zone structure. There will be more breakdowns a- as we move along in this series, but this went the way that I wasn't expecting. Yeah, well, clearly you didn't expect it because you had the Leafs in three. But yep, what I would say that's kind of a bit negative for Toronto is that whereas for like Edmonton, let's say, or you know, other teams that lost their first game, there's at least something that you can pick out and say, okay, well, if that goes a different way, or you know, maybe that a certain specific factor is easily correctable or it's just a luck based with Toronto. There's just not really a whole lot to say for them in this game. That's along that vein. You know, it's, it's a lot of just, they need to find a way to be better. They, they don't, they didn't suffer from bad luck. They didn't, um, there's not like a clear and obvious weakness in this one that, that they can just swing immediately. I mean, Seth Jones is just so very good. <laughs> I mean, his, his uh, pairing with Zach Wierenski tonight, uh, 65.75% expected goals for percentage playing a ton Ooh. of minutes against uh, the Matthews line. So that was just a text. This is what you get when you have the computer boys running a hockey team. <laughs> it's just a textbook shutting down of a, very high powered line. So that's going to be interesting. That push and pull. I am. I agree with you, Jake, in the sense that I think, I mean, I have this going five games. So clearly I think Toronto is too skilled to be held down for, for very long, but winning game one is big and winning game one in this fashion is, is also very important. So right now there's only one game left for the weekend. That's still going on. Minnesota is up two to nothing with five minutes left or so in the second period. Just for the record, both of you had Minnesota winning. Uh, CJ had them in four. Jake had them, or sorry, Jake had Vancouver in five. My apologies to Jake and and your picks. I also have Vancouver in five. So didn't watch a ton of that game, but I did see Kevin Fiala scored, and he is very good. Awful trade by Nashville. Another bad trade for the Nashville Predators. Man, also, I (laughs) I wanted to point out, Matt Duchesne was awful today for for the Preds, and... Yeah, they, he was really bad. He was awful, and I didn't realize they don't even have him playing at center. I don't know how long that's been a thing, but he... So were Yossi and Ellis. Yossi and Ellis weren't very good either. Yeah, yeah, so that that's what's weird about Nashville. It's just they have all these guys, these names that you think, oh, man, they're, you know, they're very good, and then it's just, it's just not working over there. I don't know. We'll see. So... Let's wrap it up here with just some overall impressions from the weekend. So let's start with this. Um, how did you guys, uh, I mean, Jake, what did you, because you're the one who's been watching, you know, soccer 
when it all, you know, when sports really started back up with the no fans. So how did you think the NHL pulled off the, the no fans pr- presentation here? I thought the no fans presentation was pretty good. Um, I, I think it, it kind of just, I, I think I'm just neutral on it. It's not great. It's not, it's not I mean, like blow, blow no the doors one should off. It's not like it. Yeah, <laughs> no, but my, my point is that it's not as if they're going kind of with something very different to really kind of make you feel like they're trying something new. What I really wanted out of this was for them to try something different with camera angles, do a rail cam, do do a sky cam of some well, sort. They, they kind of did that with the drone camera. They have. Yeah, yeah. A, little a little bit. bit yeah. But not, and, and I actually love that. I actually love that camera angle. Do do more of it. You provide different feeds for people to use, and maybe I just have missed it. But I haven't necessarily seen it over the weekend. Um, but I really? want to see more of that. Yeah, they they did it a lot. So which anyway? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Like, maybe like, I missed it. Wow. Questionable. I, I have to say, I really do like um, how they've outfitted both arenas, especially with those huge uh, screens up there um sometimes it gets a little weird with some of the content they're putting up there for those of you who watch the edmonton game watching hunter their mascot like lift up his shirt and show off this like weird set of six-pack abs like i really don't get what that was like sure hunter can go on tv and he can lift up his shirt and show off his abs but when i do it at an nhl arena and show off my dad bod i get kicked out of the arena and told never to come back so i i'm purposely i think that's a little unfair uh, but other than that, I think overall, I think the arena looks pretty good. So I'll get yeah, that. Yeah, I, I think that those screens that they've added in that little kind of uh, uh, middle piece behind the benches, it's really nice looking and very different. Yeah, well, that's the thing. I, I'm just glad that they tried something and not just an empty arena. There is a there is kind of a feel to it yeah. that minimizes the, the kind of empty feeling of the arena. And that's good. I thought that the player just intensity overall was very, very high. These games were highly yes. competitive and that's good to see. You know, I, I think this might be a, a kind of a depressing window into making people realize that having fans in the building or how loud the fans are, maybe doesn't affect how hard the guys play. Maybe if you yell at them to shoot, they might just not do it anyway. Um, these are yeah. There's there's several players who have talked in the past where they say like the the crowd noise usually kind of affects them like early on, but yeah. once the game starts, most professional players kind of tune it well, out because they've been playing with crowds their entire lives. So at a certain point, yeah. it just becomes the norm, and I think we overrate that a little bit. I mean, of course, we all want fans in the building. We're all fans of the game at the end of the day, but. Um, I thought that the games were, were just as intense as, they, as, as they've ever been, if not more so. And these are just competitive guys who want to win. And, and you could see that. The only thing I really dislike, and I understand why they have to do it because of, you know, censorship regulation, but the, the reversed audio between whistles <laughs> is just so bad and so nauseating. I just despise it. It sounds like they're performing a satanic ritual on the ice. I have yeah. a feeling like a pentagram is going to happen and like <laughs> yeah. center ice and all of a sudden the ghost of Gordy Howe is going to like come up out of nowhere. And it, 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 uh, yeah, it's, it's just creepy. it's just so weird and bad. And the worst thing is sometimes you can still tell that they're swearing. <laughs> so it, I don't yeah. know if it even really <laughs> accomplishes the like stated goal of that. But I get why they have to do it. I mean, you just can't have yeah. guys swearing out loud on TV over and over again. But yeah, I mean, I. I was actually pleasantly surprised by all of it. I didn't know how they were going to yeah. do it. I think the team, I think the league that's done it the best is the NBA so far with their presentation 
because they've actually created something almost just completely. I mean, they have created something completely new by really kind of closing off the playing surface and having that wall around it with the virtual fans. That part's kind of weird, but at least it makes it feel like it's on the stage as opposed to the NHL where you still can clearly see it's in an empty arena. But overall, I'm 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 a big fan of it. So love it. Mm-hmm. Love to see it. Love to see the NHL uh, back. On this note, Lewis X209 had a question saying, "Do you like them playing the away team's goal horn slash song?" I could care less personally, but there are people. I don't care. Either. There are people, yeah. including players, who apparently didn't like that. So really, I, yeah, yeah. There was a. I forget who said it. I think it was yesterday. I mean, this weekend is a blur of being on Twitter and watching games, but. Someone said it at some point that they didn't like that. So, interesting. Weird. Yeah, I don't think it matters. Well, yeah, I mean... It- okay, so something I do want to ask... Something I want to do ask both of you, because uh, there, there's obviously, with all the sports, there's a lot of contention about this, and I don't know if we talked about it. What is your opinion on specifically the fake crowd noise? I'm for it. I don't really care either way. I think in baseball it sounds really bad. But for whatever reason, in the arena, it doesn't sound as as bad, and they also seem like to play that... it a little less. Yeah, I feel like it's not super loud in the yeah, in the hockey one. It's very much almost just feels more like white noise in a good way. Yeah, where it's just the the, the ambient noise that you expect to hear when you're watching hockey, and so it just kind of feels. So it sounds like a Tuesday night Ducks game. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Well, for 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 baseball, the problem is they're constantly panning out to this stadium that you see is empty. So having the crowd noise is yeah. just bizarre. But with the NHL, the way it's zoomed in and where the seats are covered, you could almost believe if you knew nothing that maybe there are people in the upper decks who are cheering. You know, so it doesn't sound so out of place. Um, personally, I would rather no crowd noise and no reverse audio and just hear what they're saying. But obviously, that's not possible. So all things considered, I'm. I'm pretty okay with it. Did you we did we have any other questions or anything else you guys wanted to touch on? Because I think that's pretty much it. That's all I've got for yeah. you guys, at least. Yeah, that's it for me too. I think we're all, Let's wrap this I up. I think we're all good here. I mean, we are an hour forty in or hour thirty five in. So uh, yeah. yeah, let's wrap this up. I, I think I think as we CJ start wants to do to leave. these more, he's big time. I, I think us. as we. <laughs> I think as we start to do this more, we'll get into more of a groove. I don't think you can expect us to do this type of breakdown of every game because we're so for those of you no there, well so th- this this top. is a special you know this is a special episode this was the first weekend of hockey being back yep. in a pandemic and every game was yep. noteworthy but obviously we're going to do this every sunday night for the foreseeable future there's going to be a ton of games in between so it's going to be impossible for us to do individual games so we'll, yep, we'll probably exactly. do like a we'll probably do like a recap or just a impression of that series how recap. that particular series is going yeah but for this weekend we figured, why not jam pack an episode? It's worth it. Um, I had a blast watching these games. I'm happy it's back. I love hockey. It kind of it, it kind of drove it home this weekend. So, anyway, with all of that being said, uh, thanks everybody for listening. Uh, hopefully, we didn't tune too many people out who only listen to us for Ducks content. But if you if you enjoyed this, we really appreciate that. A couple different ways that you can support the show. First off, we are on Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash crash the pond. So for a dollar a month, a dollar pledge a month, you can join us in our Discord chat where we have a lot of fun. We chatted quite a bit over this weekend and when Ducks news are coming uh, coming out. And also just during regular times, during Ducks games, we do uh, in-game live chats. So it's a lot of fun. 
for $5 a month, uh, you get the same access to the chat and the episode that we were referring to constantly on, on, on this show. Uh, we post two bonus episodes a month on there and we get into league-wide topics, random topics, Doug, Ducks topics. We really go all over the place. It's a lot of fun. So if you enjoy the banter of the show, I highly, highly recommend it. That's at patreon.com slash crash the pond uh you can also check us out on apple podcasts uh subscribe to us there if you haven't already if you're an apple user leave us a rating and a review absolutely goes a long way we're also on spotify you can also find us on youtube so some people prefer to listen to podcasts on youtube which i'm not one of them but more power to you if you want to see our pretty faces uh, then that just search crash the pond on youtube also I think Jake already talked about this, but twitch.tv slash crash the pond. When we're going to do these on Sunday nights, we're broadcasting live. So make sure to subscribe there. If you're already an Amazon Prime member, you get a free Twitch subscription. So go ahead and use that on us because it, it helps us out quite a bit and, uh, you know, definitely shows the support. So assuming I didn't miss anything there. Also, one thing I wanted to add, follow us on social media. CJ is on Twitter at CJ Woodling. Jake is on Twitter at ReindeerGames91. I am on Twitter at Felix underscore Sicard. Of course, check out CrashThePond.com at CrashThePond on Twitter and on Facebook. So that is going to do it for us tonight, guys. Thank you so much for listening. Hope you had a fantastic weekend and a great week. And we will talk to you next Sunday. Bye.